This is the Rare Petro Podcast, a podcast for industry professionals and students to quickly gather information by Basin for business happenings, headlines, and trends. Welcome to Rare Petro's podcast, brought to you by Rare Petro. You've got Sai here. And Tavis Killian. Well, welcome to Rare Petro's uh, podcast number two to update you on the oil and gas impact all across the basins that hey. we're looking at. Hey, we did it. We're back for our second episode. Yeah, we You did. liked it. Our bosses liked it, thankfully. Which is why we're still here. So let's keep this going. But again, we're on Apple Podcasts. We're on SoundCloud. Subscribe to those feeds. We'd love to get that feedback. And hey, let's do something awesome with this podcast with your help. Yeah, no pressure. But uh, yeah, let's start seeing <laughs> double pressure. It'll double, <laughs> double, double digits here for our subscribers. <laughs> yeah, tell me what you want, what you really, really want. But Yes, sir. All righty, let's get this show going. Uh, Thomas, you want to start off by telling us what we're looking at for the prices per barrel? Yes, sir. Today is December 18th as of recording, and WTI is currently at $61.08 per barrel. Natural gas is currently at about $2.28 per MSCF. Over in the Permian Basin, Diamondback Energy was some struggles. Oil production was a little bit lower than expected due to well spacing issues. Their stock fell about 13.3% mid-November, and it has been down 15% in the past year. Next up, we've got Equinor. Norwegian Equinor sells Eagleford assets to Spanish company Repsol. Repsol will have 100% interest in the assets, and they also, in a separate deal, acquired 20% of non-operated interest in Equinor's monument prospect in the Gulf of Mexico. Stock is currently down 10.5% overall from January of this year, so this may be an attempt of Equinor to put a little more money in their pockets, liquidate some assets. Next up, we've got National Fuel. Low natural gas prices have hurt them pretty severely. They cut the profit forecast by 7%. They still expect oil and gas production to be up 14% this fiscal year, but shares are down 10% since the fiscal year that ended in September. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, because right now, up in the air. Real briefly, before we get more into it, Occidental and Chesapeake Energy. Occidental, offloading $700 million of assets acquired from the Anadarko acquisitions that are located mainly Wyoming and Colorado. Otherwise, Chesapeake Energy stocks are plummeting. They've fallen to a record low of $0.56 cents in November 19th of last month. Today it has climbed to about $0.89, cents, which is still below a dollar, and it really hasn't been this low past opening since 1999, despite many of this company's struggles. But again, we'll get into that more in the future. And then internationally, as most of you know, Saudi Aramco went public, IPO valued at about $2 trillion, but as of today, again December the 18th, it has fallen to $1.97 trillion. Small percentage change, but considering the magnitude, that's a pretty significant amount of money. So that was the second day in a row it has fallen. Keep your eye out. Could be a cause for concern, but could be a area of profit as well. Yeah, but, something something we can monitor as we go along in this uh, month and move forward. Mm-hmm, but past that, let's let's take a look at the Permian. What have we got going on over there? At the Permian Basin, you know, it's uh, it's it's a great spot to operate out of. They kind of do their own thing, and they they, they get a lot accomplished. So they're they're still on track to be um, you know, continue doing the great work they've been able to do. Um, one of the more interesting things that I that I found um, that I wanted to kind of expand on is uh, what the Pioneer Natural Resources CEO uh, Scott Sheffield uh, brought up um, during one of his interviews, and it was and he was addressing the issue of uh, gas flaring. That's kind of a problem in the Permian and in the Bakken. Um, and, you know, he provided insight to other operators as to how Piney Natural Resources handles this issue of, uh, you know, dealing with a certain uh, flaring and venting rate for, for, for gas. Um, so ideally, you know, Piney Natural Resources or, you know, the, the CEO said that they're not connecting the, their horizontal wells to production unless that gas line is already put in place, which to me sounds like a pretty simple solution and a really great thing to do. But again, there's got to be a reason as to why other operators aren't following this streamlined process. Um 
you know, the, but the main thing that I liked out of what Scott, uh, Mr. Sheffield here um, kind of got across is that since pipeline construction and capacity has lagged in the Permian Basin, there's no need getting new dr new wells up and going and, you know, focusing on drilling these new wells until this pipeline issue is settled. So what you can do until that point is focus on getting your flaring and venting rates down to that 2%, you know, whatever rate the, the, the state requires itself. Um, and again, it's pretty simple. Since that pipeline construction has been an issue, has been delayed, it, it's causing... It's making natural gas be left off as a byproduct that just has to be, you know, vented or flared. And, you know, we're seeing more and more quantities of natural gas that need to be burnt or vented as these operators continue to wait for the pipelines to be put in place. And I think this is going to be a result of uh, state regulations. I mean, it will become standard. You will have to have a pipeline in place before producing eventually due to state regulations and cutting back on those emissions. So I would not be surprised if in the future... What he's saying that he think everyone should do will happen. Yeah, so. and I I feel like this is uh, you know it's a simple simple uh, you know solution. Like just don't uh, don't you know don't connect the wells to production unless you've got that first initial you know gas that gas line is put in place. You you right away just mitigate these. I'm not gonna say just okay yeah not right away or completely, but like obviously this is a sure way to a step forward towards you know limiting that uh, the the ga the gas that needs to be vented or flared. So I, th I think it was a great point that he brought up, and I, I think it's actually great that he kind of called out some of the other guys within the industry, um, because you know, it's these you know it's these specific kind of operators, you know, maybe one or two guys that are not, you know, really zoning in on the issue and causing what could eventually be a really big problem. That that like you know the issue of flaring could you know the regulations that could be passed down by states could impede production. And you know before it gets to that point, we could you know we could listen to what like I said, Mr. Sheffield said and try to see if something simple as that um, and other steps can help limit it. Oh, definitely. I think the biggest issue with that is I think everyone would do it in an ideal world, but it's time. If you've got to wait for that pipeline to be constructed, you've acquired that lease, that's the only thing standing in the way. So maybe with improved coordina coordination, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, uh, yeah, that's, I, I think that's, I think it's a great, great, great uh, way to kind of open up the dialogue for this discussion, I would say. Um, but next up in the Permian, we're looking at, you know, analysts are predicting are predicting that they already know what's going to be the next big issue that's going to limit production and limit your, your cash flow. What's that going to be? In the Permian Basin. Well, as of right now, it is projected to be bandwidth. Now, if we don't know what that is, you're fine. It took me a second to realize what it was <laughs> too. Um, it is literally the capacity to transmit data over the internet. So literally your access to reliable and efficient internet. <laughs> And I can see as to why this would be a big issue. Tavis, can you see as to why this could become a, oh, potentially a big 100%. issue? 100%. Yeah. If you've got a field that is not uh, able to have remote access, you have those downhole tools, digital tools, automation, that you have to be on site to access. So rather than a production monitor the well through a spot fire dashboard, he has to get into a truck, drive to the field, record the data there. That's that's too much time. Yeah. We're gonna yeah. need that internet connectivity. Exactly, and this is this is the thing that the service industry, right? The service industry within oil and gas is this. This is what they thrive on. Every year, they're coming out with better tools, you know, better technological advancement to allow for you know engineers, petroleum engineers, to further you know get better results, be more efficient, you know, be faster. And if that's limited, I feel like you're stopping. You're you're kind of limiting your progress. You're kind of stopping you know all the great things you can you're able to accomplish. Um. So this, you know, this, this, the analysts are, you know, ideally saying, you know, we start permanent, you know, kind of always start off with having this problem, right? First, it was 
okay, how do we how do we actually get the hydrocarbons to market? There was actually no way to you know move the um, oil and natural gas. So pipelines were an issue. So pipelines were created. Next up, we run into the next big problem, which was there's no water for drilling and hydraulic fracturing operations. There's literally you need water for you know various various disciplines of the oil and gas industry, and that became an issue. And then it was the fact that you literally didn't have disposal sites to get rid of this water or, you know, clean it up, treatment facilities even, and reuse it wherever you else, you know, wherever you see fit. Again, now was projected to be an issue as bandwidth. And I, I got to say, this 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 article makes me really wonder, right? The, the next big thing that we're talking about in colleges across the nation or, you know, within this industry, you know, within offices even, is that, hey, you got to be, you got to be quick. You got to be fast with these new apps, with these new tools that are coming out, right? You thought, you know, you thought you're coming into school for a degree in petroleum engineering, yet you're going to graduate with more computer knowledge skills than you probably thought a petroleum engineer would need. That's because that's where the industry is headed. And with all these skills and people getting these skills, you know, that's, that's a commodity, essentially. That's what operators, you know, that's what these guys are looking for uh, when, they, when they hire people. Well, if you've got the skill, but then you don't literally just have the tools to be able to get it, you know, get it done, then that's kind of out of your hand. And that's going to be an issue that affects the entire industry. One of the other things that you brought up about uh, the Permian Basin was in the beginning, um, you know, Diamondback Energy and well spacing concerns um, that all the other operators are also, you know, also kind of complaining about and also kind of, you know, bringing up. And it's a real big issue. It's It's a strange issue as well, because you've got land rights, you've got mineral rights, but pressures can cross those boundaries. And that's kind of up in the air. Yeah. And this issue is affecting other operators. Diamondback is not the first one to, you know, voice their concern, right? In the DJ Basin, Noble Energy was the first one to kind of do something similar to this. And, you know, other operators have kind of been using their model, their their data to kind of, you know, build towards within the DJ Basin to mitigate issues of well spacing and, you know, um, well interference. Even earlier in August, we reported, remember when Concho uh, shares fell down and they they, they brought up the fact that, hey, it's because of the well spacing concerns, it's because well interaction from nearby wells. And, and it's and, not the company's fault. It's not a fault of poor operations. It's a great reservoir. They're seeing this issue because of their neighbors. So it's another operator, you know, in, in, in an area nearby that's drilling, that's carrying out hydraulic fracturing operations. And those fracture networks are connecting to their wells and their, in their lease and their acreage. And so I feel like that's just, you're just getting a bad, you know, you're just getting a bad end of the deal there. For like, absolutely if, no reason yeah. at all. It's- Looking at the other side of Texas, we've got that Eagleford Basin. Uh, briefly mentioned it before, but Equinor sells its assets in Eagleford to Repsol for around $325 million. Repsol took over 100% of yeah. that interest and a little bit over in the Gulf. Yeah, and you know, Equinor is a big player. And you know, it's, I would love to know as to why they were so quick to... I'm going to attribute it to them bleeding a little bit of cash because their you know, stock is down it. 10.5% since hey, this previous January. Yeah. But hey, that's speculation. Because yeah. I can't think of any other reason that I can, would be thinking of doing that, right? Continues to remain pretty quiet over in the Eagleford outside of a blowout. What have we got about that? What have we got? Yeah, that was a blowout that we saw on November 1st, actually, early morning. As of right now, you know, Devon Energy has upheld their end of the deal. They provided lodging. They provided, you know, everything that was needed for the families that were affected by this blowout, um, and that included every single person within a two-mile radius. And most importantly, there were no injuries. So. Yeah, there was that. But looking at over to the Bakken Shale, Bakken. we are looking at we are looking at some great work being done here. Um, so I was reading this one um, one news uh, article, and it goes, you know, it's talking about 
it's talking about the new trend that's happening in the Bakken. And I'm sitting here wondering, and after reading this article, you know, I'm starting to see as to, you know, this guy might, you know, they might have some stock behind them. Oh, let saying. us in. What is it? You're such a tease. Hey, Come on. They're, they're telling us right now, there was a study, there was an analysis done of about 100 or so wells in just the Kildare area alone, right? Uh, it was by a company uh, named uh, Mineral Tracker. They figured out that there are, on average, every single one of these wells has about 370,000 barrels of recoverable oil still to be had that's in the just, well yes that's currently left in the rock of recoverable oil and this is a result of just old technologies right because yep. this article mentioned from 2004 2010 yep. for some of them as much as 15 years ago yeah. we've now, developed article, a yeah. lot this article is suggesting that these that these wells that they're considering are good candidates for refracturing right now the wells that they're considering about the 100 or so that they covered in this analysis were all wells that were from 2004 to 2010 now if we think about it this was really early on, even to this day, this industry is changing and we don't know a lot. But can you imagine being back then and thinking that the completion strategy that you had is the best to is, is, is the best one to produce out of? Right, before all 15 years of research yeah, was to come out and say, exactly. well, actually. Yeah, exactly. So like, yeah, you don't have any other data to compare yourself to. So these guys, you know, might, that, that might have been the best thing to do for that time. So this study shows us that we can go back and literally, by just looking at these 100 wells or so, just these 100 wells or so alone, let's do some quick math, right? This analysis tells us that about 100 wells, on average, each one of these wells can produce about 370,000 barrels of recoverable oil. That accounts for over 1.37 mmSTB out of just these 100 wells in just the Kildare area of just that few townships within the Bakken Shale. That's just a sample population. And these wells are also, again, 100 wells from 2004 to 2010. Now, something that something that slipped my mind, if you actually include the wells that were included from 2010 to 2014, which had, you know, which kind of used something newer for that time period of as sliding sleeves, that that 100 wells, along with that 1.37 MMSTB that, that is recoverable oil, that, that increases tremendously if you include all of the wells that did even sliding sleeves um, completion types and every other well you know from 2004 basically there's so much potential here and this study shows you that these candidates are great for refracts you can go back in you know kind of get a sweet deal on the land i'm not sure you know what all goes into that that whole side of business but ideally you know hey maybe the next thing for the operators could be to buy up these properties the these leases now and you know do operations on and you know kind of get that you know the again the goal in this industry is to be economical Obviously, that's number one, and I feel like this strategy, this this analysis that this this company did, kind of really provides some small operators a chance to really you know kind of step into the industry. Exactly, small operators. That's why I am such a big fan of this report because not only is it economic, but it's also responsible. We're revisiting old investments. The infrastructure's there. Buy it up cheap. Make yourself some money. This is great. Reduce, reuse, recycle. I mean, this is. Hopefully the environmental activists are looking at this. Seriously. I'm sure they would they not be pleased. Aren't, yeah. But and they no, have no but, idea. Yeah. yeah, the industry is always changing and evolving, and we're not going to be able to predict far into the future. But what I can predict is what you're going to have to say about California in this next segment. <laughs> I bet, I bet that you can. Um, but no, yeah, let's uh, let's let's just circle back over to uh, California. Talk about California. California recently established a moratorium on high pressure extraction practice. So what this what this kind of a law, you know, being passed, um, Tavis does, it literally halts the approval of new oil extraction wells that use high pressure steam 
to be able to produce. Am I mistaken if I thought that many, almost most of the wells in California required high pressure steam? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, yeah. If you wanna, if you wanna um, refer to many as ninety to ninety-five percent of the wells in California, um, if not all. So what this uh, moratorium effectively does is it makes it illegal, essentially illegal, for you to use high-pressure steam just to be able to produce out of your well. When we refer to high-pressure steam, essentially uh, steam injection is required for this heavy oil that, that you find in California. And uh, steam injection, um, ideally what it does is it makes the fluid less viscous and you know, it, allow, it allows it the mobility to be able to, you know, pr- to produce. Um, and high pressure steam is required for wells that are really deep within the reservoir rock, right? So you're looking at for offshores or, you know, even obviously even onshore drilling, but, you know, deep wells. Um, so, yeah, so this, uh, this, this, this law effectively, um, it stops the approval of these wells. And like we said, there's 90, 95% of wells in California require a steam injection just to be able to produce just because that's how the oil is in that state. Now, what this well, now what this little law does on top of it, they, they, they added a really uh, nifty little comment in there which says that surface expressions are also effectively illegal. Now, something about California oil, we've talked about how it's heavy oil, which is why you need steam injection. On top of that, this heavy oil as a natural phenomena, you have this oil, these hydrocarbons, they, they, on, on the surface, they ooze, right? Just a little bit, um, kind of gross looking thing. But yeah, they ooze out. They kind of just, you know, just natural process that happens. And they kind of just stay up top there and, you you know, ideally you clean it up and go on about your day. Hey, sometimes you don't. Even on some of the beaches in California, there's just normal. that crude yeah, on the surface tar, that's tar, seeped out. Yeah, it's the tar sands and it's a natural phenomena that they seep out and, and they, you know, they come up onto the surface. Now, this moratorium calls this natural phenomena as uh, they're referring to as surface expressions. Now, this isn't some term that just came up with. If you think about it, surface expressions are making you think as if this little oozing is a byproduct of oil and gas development when that's not the case whatsoever it's a natural occurrence this has been happening way before time this has been how it's how literally the reservoir rock interacts and you know what the funny thing is before oil and gas development in the state you saw these tar sands this this this, this little ooze happening all across the street with oil and gas development now listen to this yeah with oil and gas development you're seeing less of that happen across the street now why is that because oil and gas development oil and gas activity within the region is going to reduce your pressure in the reservoir rock as you produce hydrocarbons your pressure from what it was initially is only going to go down and then you inject steam to bring that pressure up or at least close to the initial reservoir pressure so that you can continue to produce right but because of this, uh, because of this activity in the region, you're seeing just a reduced pressure altogether. So you're seeing less of this naturally occurring like ooze happen. And hopefully, with this legislation, they'll see, oh boy, that ban didn't change much. Minimal changes. We were wrong and let it go. It yeah. sucks that the production is going to be limited, but it's much better than a complete yeah, ban, no, yeah, permanent I mean, ban. Exactly. And then on top of this, well, the, see the implications of this are are what kind of worries me, right? It's similar to. It's similar to the Prop 112 stuff that we saw being trying to be passed in, uh, in in Colorado. What's similar between these these two things is the vague terminology that you use, and that vague terminology can be applied to whatever you think. It's not vague what is and meant. Broad, yeah. exactly. So now with this with this uh, moratorium being passed, now effectively what this implies, Davis, is that you're going to need to get a permit essentially um, for any sort of injection that you need to get. Right, you're going to have some sort of a well site, you know, um, operator come out. 
and he's going to have to ta you know look for your casing pressure at least i think it's uh, i think the moratorium says you know every 5 years or so so you have that cost average life of the well 12 years so you're doing that at least two times for your well alone on top of that again you have to have specific permits to be able to just inject alone and that that alone causes a lot more issues now what we're seeing on the other side of things is any hydraulic fracturing operations or any other stimulation practices will be independently reviewed again. I've got a bone to pick with that because also in the other articles we've published in the news bowls, we know that since July, there are 263 pending fracking permits that yeah. have not been approved by the governor. Yeah, do you know why, do you know why that is? Because uh, Governor Newsom, right, is that? Yeah, Governor uh, Gavin Newsom's great plan to limit or stop the public outcry from the enhanced hydraulic fracturing operations of the state of California was to fire his oil and gas regulator that was responsible for passing these permits. Since he fired the guy, we have literally not seen any single permit pass. Well, because who's supposed to pass the permits? Who's the knowledgeable expert? We've got nothing. Hey, we'll let, yeah, you know what? I feel like the, the state of California has enough smart individuals to figure out that you need a person for the job that there's a title for. I'm going to give Newsom the benefit of the doubt that he's got a lot of stuff on his plate and he's still searching for someone to replace that. But even so, there yes. needs to be some changes. The BLM itself has not even leased a sale in California since 2013. Yeah, have you noticed that? The BLM literally reported that there's not been a single lease sale in California since 2013. And that's now, kind of how a long are you going to blame everything bad happening in your state on oil and gas activities if you haven't even had a lease sale in your state for the last seven years? Or close to that, whatever. It's and a it's, tough correlation to draw. It, it is, you know. I, <laughs> it, it limits production. I, it's going to chase producers out of the state. And the state is yeah, going to miss out that, on a lot of benefits. Yeah, now let me tell you about the implications of this moratorium on, on onto the operators in the state, right? Now what this means is that they're essentially, for their cash flow models, what they're having to, just to account for all of these regulations that they have to meet, just add on another 3 to $4 to your dollar per barrel cost. Add that 3 to $4 differential because now let's talk about the permitting, the the the, the time lost in getting these and getting these permits approved. Number one. Secondly, having an, like a well site coordinator out there to check your casing pressure over the course of the, the over the course of life of the well, right? That's another cost, right? On top of that, if you're doing hydraulic fracturing or stimulation, which more waiting stimulation is required for all unconventionals. If you're doing that hydraulic fracturing, there's more waiting. And the biggest killer that we've talked about in this industry is NPT, is, is your, is your non-producing time. That's what you're looking to reduce with all these techno technological advances that we're looking at. And that's single-handedly, this moratorium is adding time onto that. So if you want to look at a quick and dry, dirty, you know, calculation to see how this affects operators, just add a 3 to $4 differential to your dollar per barrel. They're, that's what you're looking they're at. They're chasing the industry right out of the state. That's, that's literally what they're doing. Yeah, you want to, you, you, yeah, Governor Newsom here wants to be carbon neutral to 2045. You'll be lucky if you have people living in your state by that time. That's, but yeah, off to, you know, you know what, let's move on to something that matters. Uh, I know what matters. We got some sponsors and we'd like to speak on them. This podcast brought to you by Truck Track, an app by Rip Petro that allows you to stay updated and stay on track. Do you want to know what's going on in real time? Then download Truck Track, available on the App Store and the Android App Store. This podcast is also brought to you by Rare Petro's DCA Advantage. Have you ever enjoyed drawing decline curves in Excel? I know I haven't. So why not use an app that allows you to draw point-to-point -point curves that fits variables that you can adjust later? DCA Advantage gives you the equation from your decline curves that you can use to later calculate important various reservoir properties. Now back to the show. 
Alrighty, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed listening to our sponsors. Next up, we've got the DJ Basin. New state rules will create the first ever public mapping of underground oil and gas lines. Now, this is cool because we're not sure exactly what facility or what organization will do it, but the goal is to publicly display and map all lines in Colorado. Now, this is most likely a result of the Firestone explosion in 2017, which you may have heard us talk about last month or even heard in general. But what's really cool about this is there will be a database that you can use to analyze and look at pipelines and gas lines underground, which will be useful for construction, zoning, development. Really, there's quite a lot of potential here, and I'm just stoked because it's cool in general. I, th- I think this this is a great way to show you know CSR. This is uh, this this right here is a great. It's an example of industry transparency. Exactly. Pretty quiet otherwise in the DJ. Next up, we've got Marcellus Shale. Yes, sir. And we talked. Um, I heard you actually uh, talk a little bit about the Mar- stuff going on in the Marcellus Shale uh, in the beginning of the podcast. You know, talk about national feel. You know, the CEO brought up a great point. It, it's the price, right? It's the it's the price of the commodity. It's just it's um. You know, I, I want to say how the CEO referred to it as uh, Mr. David Bauer said that it's a challenging commodity price environment and which makes sense is, is far less than what you get paid on, in the global market. This brings up a great uh, point that I want to expand on more is that these depressed Pennsylvania, uh, the, the depressed prices in Pennsylvania are, are causing a problem all across the board. So we're seeing operators in Pennsylvania leaning more towards LNG export since they make close to $6 per MMBTU in the global market. And that's literally three times the price that these operators would make if they were to sell their product in the domestic market. Um, since spring 2018, shale gas from Pennsylvania has been shipped out of an export terminal on the Chesapeake Bay to 20 different countries. Most of those ships went to Japan, by the way. And they're making three times as much as exactly. selling back at home. Yeah, and then that's the exact same thing the National Fuel uh, CEO is bringing up, right? It's, again, a challenging commodity price environment it looks like that's that's, what you're looking at it right and operators yeah operators are trying to find a different environment yeah we've got the supply just have to find the demand and it looks like that demand is in japan also gas that's something you'd associate with the marcellus what else fracking pennsylvania governor wolf authorizes a three million dollar study on the health impacts of fracking because in the state of pennsylvania there's been more than what's normal several more cases of ewing sarcoma which is a type of cancer, and a lot of people attribute it to fracking operations. There's just been correlations from the family. They've been pushing pretty heavily, and of course, the governor represents those constituents, so he's putting up this research, and it's actually between two separate research assignments that go for $4 million total, and they're going to attempt with that money to find a correlation. I think, yeah, I've, I've, you know, yeah, I've got to say, you know, I think, um, if this is beneficial for, you know, kind of finding out a cure or trying to see if this is causing this issue, it'd be, yeah, it'd be if we can vital. prevent it, that's yeah, great. That's it'd fantastic. be vital to understand that this, you know, if this plays a part in, in this health, uh, the, the health issues that, you know, that are being outlined by these families or, you know, if, if, even if, even if, you know, this is, it has even a, any sort of, uh, impact to, or a contribution to these illnesses that these families are reporting, I would be. I'm perfectly fine with the study being conducted, um, you know, regardless of the time and money and resources that are being spent on something that's been um, conducted over and over and over again. But hey, if there's a correlation, we'll find out. Tavis, you want to let me know what's going on in uh, Oklahoma? What have they been doing over there? Over in the scoop stack plays, we have oil and gas companies working to reduce emissions as political debate continues. 
pretty standard stuff. People trying to avoid lawsuits. Uh, a few companies have implemented programs that surpass the current requirements for methane emissions control at oil and gas and production shipping locations. But not all companies are doing this. My concern is if you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to ask for some milk. If one company can do this, and it's going to become a standard that everybody does this. Yeah, so, I feel like at this point in time, it's you know if you're not doing it, you might as well start practicing these uh, you know these these mitigation measures because it will become a law. Yeah, and you might as well save yourself from a potential lawsuit now and kind of you know implement these changes in your workflow and you know kind of have established, um, you know have that established going forward. And then also in Oklahoma, we've got some significant earthquakes, five total quakes in that past month, which is to be expected from increasing pressures, plate tectonics. It's already a very, very uh, seismic area, but I guess keep an eye on that. We'll see if any effects come to the oil and gas industry, if anyone blames them. But as of now, it looks like they may be in the clear. You know, just Oklahoma, they could take something out of Governor uh, Newsom's book, right? Just make these natural processes be illegal. Just tell no earthquakes, earthquakes, hey, tell the tectonic plates to stop shifting. I'll see you in court, Mother Earth. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's some influence, but hopefully it does not limit production in that region. But outside of that, we've got Powder River. What have we got? Occidental's offered about 200,000 acres um, in Wyoming and Colorado. And they produce about $66 million a year in cash flow. And on the other side of things, we have a spokeswoman for Occidental Petroleum letting us know that Oxy plans to move its Midland staff to offices in a Darkwoods building prior to the acquisition. So the whole purpose of um, soliciting these bids, it could be speculated that the goal is to kind of free up some revenue and, you know, kind of bring in the manpower that they need in the Rocky Mountain region with all the new leases, all the new acreage that they're now responsible for after the Anadarko acquisition. So, so put a little more money in their pockets yeah. and get some others on board ready yeah. to develop. That would make sense why they're bringing, you know, a lot of engineers from down in Midland up out here to actually help, you know, kind of get everything up and running. In Powder River, we also have uh, Chesapeake Energy. Uh -oh. Is yeah, you know, you, I, I heard you mention this in the beginning, but yeah, I've been wanting to talk about it. Their, their stock is below one dollar. Their stock is below a buck at ninety-one cents. It's currently priced at ninety. Actually, I'm today. Um, no, that was when this report came yeah. out. Today, it's eighty-nine cents. It's which eighty-nine is cents. Yeah, lower, but not as low as it was at fifty-six cents on the nineteenth of November. Yeah. See, so they are going down. Very bad. Chesapeake Energy saw its stock plunge by 29.15% in a single day. Their stock currently priced at 89 cents. It is the lowest the company has seen since March 5th, 1999. That 89 cents price is well below the $1.35 a share Chesapeake was worth on the first day its shares were listed back in 1993. Now, we know a little bit of about Chesapeake over this course, right? Oh, yeah. We have seen Chesapeake expand as the second nation's second largest producer of natural gas only after ExxonMobil, although they vacated that title about two years ago. Over this time, we've seen Chesapeake Energy heavily invested in the shale industry, but we've also seen the shale industry going through its ups and downs, and Chesapeake Energy has directly been impacted by all of those. On top of that, we also, I don't know if you guys remember this, but Chesapeake Energy is also the target of a federal antitrust investigation which they settled in 2018 and they were also they've also already been fined millions millions of dollars for illegally polluting water and causing other environmental harms so we're looking at just like a history kind of trend of Chesapeake energy just you know just kind of deteriorating and on top of that we've seen 
the late CEO, Aubrey McClendon, known as a shale king. When Mr. McClendon was the CEO for Chesapeake, we saw a lot of decisions being made that and th that we saw the, the results of with Doug Lawler as a CEO. Now we're seeing these results, right? Now, Chesapeake's to a point where they're brutally honest. To They let everybody know. They let the world know, hey, if prices for natural gas, if these prices don't go up, we're, we're gone. Like, we're, we're not going to be a thing anymore. That's a real threat. And Doug Lawler, the current CEO, you know, I've met him. He's a mines graduate, great guy. This company was brutally honest in their in their disclosure. And they, they let everyone know. They essentially are letting the world know that, hey, this is, like, if these prices don't change, you know, we're, we're kind of gone. They're gone. Out of yeah, business. And, so it's... And it's, it's a lot of, it's a product of just... You know, just just shit luck and shit decisions yeah. that were made, and now we're falling in the hands of people that kind of didn't really have a lot to do with them when they mm -hmm. were being made. Hey, they're making the most of what they can, but unfortunately, it looks yeah. like according to the stocks, it's not going well. Yeah, and they were the first industry, right? They're the, not the industry; they were the first company that we saw, first operator in the industry, just go all in into the into that shale boom. But then, as soon as we're starting to see those ups and downs. Yeah, operators, you know, they were other operators were invested, you know, slightly or, you know, even they still had other other endeavors. But with Chesapeake, with just shale being their, you know, bread and butter, the ups and downs of the shale industry, which were a lot, affected them directly. And, hey, we're looking at, you know, you're looking at what's happening to them right now. So, hey, potential closed down, but I'd love to see them stay. Lots of good history. But yeah, that, that, that would be right. That, that would be. And we'll, we'll just see how it kind of builds. But as we'll of right keep now, you posted, yeah. especially on the next episode. Thank you guys for listening to Red Petro's podcast number two. Always Oil a pleasure gas. to have you. Yes, sir. Oil and Gas Impacts all across the basins. Brought to you by your hosts, Cy, me, and Tavis. Me. We would like to remind our listeners that your uh, beloved hosts, Cy, me, and Tavis, are current petroleum engineering students. And as such, anything stated in this podcast is simply our research. So please let us know if you hear of any irregularities or any false information. We would love to update it and get it out to you as quickly as we possibly can. Yeah, Thank we'll you. definitely correct ourselves in the next episode. Yeah, and at the end of the day, you just let us know what you think because we want to be talking about stuff that you want to listen to. Those reviews. Hit us on those reviews. SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. All right, well, that sums it up. Everyone, have a great day out there, and please enjoy listening to our podcast. Like Tavis said, follow us. Let us know what you think. We don't want to be doing this for ourselves because we don't listen to this. So let us know. No, I do. You might not, but <laughs> we'll see you next time. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening to the Red Petro Podcast, brought to you by Red Petro. Be sure to let us know what you think, because we want to talk about what you want to listen to. This podcast is brought to you by Truck Track, an app by Red Petro that allows you to stay updated and stay on track. Do you want to know what's going on in real time? Then download Truck Track, available on the App Store and the Google Store. Check out Red Petro's other products, such as DCA Advantage. DCA Advantage allows you to create decline curves in the quickest and easiest way possible. Do you want to know the equation to these decline curves so that you can establish your other reservoir properties? Then download DCA Advantage.